Our text this morning is verse 10 of that passage in Ephesians 2, and we're looking at God's workmanship. And in this very well-known passage and remarkable passage, Paul is speaking about the glories of grace and a work of God's creation. Now, creation is different from just making something. You know, when you make something, as maybe we do from time to time, you have to have some materials to make it with. We cannot make anything without some materials in our hands. But God is different because God makes things from nothing. He brings into being what didn't even exist before. The Reformers and the Puritans used to call it creatio ex nihilo, creation out of nothing. You know, that's something that we can't do. But God can do in the virtue of his awesome power and his his great control over everything. He is able to bring into being things that did not exist before. And so in the Bible, we read of really two great creations, the first creation and the second creation. Now, what are they? Well, the first creation is what we find at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1, what we call material creation. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be sun and moon and stars and earth and all the fullness of heaven and earth. All that is command, he spoke, and it was so. God, out of nothing, by the mere word of his power, in the space of those six days, brought all things into existence. But Paul, in our text, is talking about a a second creation, a more important spiritual creation. And you say, well, well, what is it? Well, it is the bringing into being of the the true church of Jesus Christ. The church is what is in view in Ephesians 2 when he says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. It is a creation in Christ Jesus. Now, these two creations, they are related to one another. And, you know, there are many illustrations. But let me just give you one. You know, say that we were building a great house or a, a church or whatever. As well as the the solid foundations, you know, invariably you'd need scaffolding all around it. And now the scaffolding isn't intended to be part of the building, but it's an essential part of the building stage. And in a sense, the material creation is like that. It is God's scaffolding. It wasn't intended in that form to remain. It will be taken down to reveal something else. And so the scaffolding is in place whilst a building is being made that is greater. And so the material world that God made in the very beginning of history was for the preparation for a far more important creation, a more permanent world, and centered around the Lord Jesus and his church. And so this is what Paul is speaking of. These are the things that he is pointing us to. Now, believers are that building, the house that God is building whilst the the scaffolding is in place. And when the church of God is complete, fully made up of the gathering together of his people out of the world, at the end of history, the scaffolding is going to be taken down. Now, the scaffolding isn't just going to be thrown away, but God has promised that he will reshape it, remold it. And so the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, and everything round about us will be reshaped into the new heavens and the new earth. And so it shows us that the most important thing that God has been doing throughout history is not what men see as great or significant. 
The Bible shows us that God's great purpose and plan in history consists of his building silently, as it were, from generation to generation, a new spiritual creation. Something which cannot necessarily be seen with the the naked eye. It is the creation of a temple which will not become visible in all its fullness until the end of time when this present universe is folded up and refashioned into the new heavens, new earth. And then this great spiritual creation will appear to the eyes of the wandering world. The church of Jesus Christ and all of its completion and its magnificence, the sum total of all truly converted people. The Bible tells us about this, verses 20 to 22 of our passage. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place in the Spirit of God. And so Paul is speaking about this creation. Now, he refers elsewhere using different pictures to help us understand. So in Ephesians 4, he speaks there of the body of Christ. You know, Christ is the head. We are the members of the body. He also speaks in Ephesians 5 and other passages of the Word of God of the the bride of Christ, which is even more beautiful. He calls this building, the church, the bride of the Savior. Now, Just as an aside, you know, the Bible has two Adams. Adam created in the beginning of Genesis, a literal Adam. And initially, Adam had no companion. He had no wife. But the Lord, in his goodness, provided a wife for Adam, and he did so from his body. And God formed the woman, brought her to him. She would be bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. Now, Jesus, the Bible says, is the second Adam. And he also has been given a bride. And God has given to him one who is bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, and the bride is the church. All believers throughout the ages. And that's why history is not just the story of mankind, as some say. It is far, far more than that. History is, as many have said, his story. It is God's story. It is the account of how God, through the passing of time, is bringing men and women to himself in Christ according to a plan and purpose. How he is fitting them into the church like living stones in a temple. And the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament were pictures, shadows, types of the Lord Jesus and his church. The second creation, spiritual and new, God calls his own people, therefore, new creatures in Christ. And so it is amazing, my friends, when you read through the the scriptures, the Bible pictures this bride in the end descending out of heaven from God and the church like a, a beautiful bride prepared with all the wonder of her dress and beautiful appearance, fully ready to be presented to her husband. The church without blemish, holy, finally married to Christ. And in Revelation, it describes this great temple beautified with stones and glorious colors and gold and nothing that defiled whatever entered in. That's the creation, verse 10, is talking about the church of Jesus Christ. And the view of the church from Scripture is very different from the view that the vast majority of people have. 
You know, how different is, is Paul's attitude to all the privileges of being in God's church to what many hold, even those who profess to love and follow the head of the church, the Lord Jesus. You know, we know that the world despises the true church, laughs at her, holds her in contempt, is quick to dismiss and to belittle and to ridicule, to set aside as irrelevant and boring and tedious. And they are also given, you know, lots of ammunition from things that are called churches, but aren't, if you, you know, evaluate them in the light of Scripture, but, you know, it gives a bad name, bad reputation. And we also know that many believers have such a, a low view of the church, and individualism has swept in to undermine so much of, of what the church should be according to the Word of God. And the thing is that they don't see that the church is at the center of all that God is doing in history. And that is why time is permitted to continue. That is why the world is kept in being. You know, have you ever thought, you know, why isn't it that God doesn't just stop the world and call judgment now? That's because he's still building his church. He's still gathering out of the world the stones to make up his church. The Lord Jesus is building his church. And the scaffolding of this universe is only going to be in place until the church is ready. And when all has been completed, when that last stone has been set in place, then the end will come. And so this is a, a deep and glorious thing that Paul is speaking of here. And we need to see that it's God's workmanship. Now, we are his workmanship if we're believers. Now, literally in the Greek, that means his poems. It's so lovely, isn't it? The Greek word speaks of poems being composed, poems being composed, being made. That's what we're described as here as believers. We are made by God. We are created by him. We were once not a people. We were once in the world. We were of the world, but God has done something creative in us. He has made us what we were not by nature. And he has granted to us this spiritual life. He has made us his own children. He has made us holy. He has given us faith. And he has done this deep, deep work within us. And even this faith is given wholly by his grace. It is the gift of God. That's what Paul's been speaking of. Look at verses 8 to 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You know, Paul's making it clear again and again and again. You're not saved by what you do. You're not saved by works. It is by grace through faith alone. Faith itself being the gift and the work of God in you. And so believers are his work from beginning to end. All of God, all of grace, his new spiritual creation in Christ. Now let me ask you this morning, and I ask myself, do we appreciate our privilege if we are in Christ? Do we really appreciate it this morning? You know, maybe, you know, there are times when we feel down and we feel discouraged and we're, we're struggling to see the point of going on. You know, maybe we look at the world and it, it seems a senseless world at times. You know, it, it seems a senseless life. You know, what's the point? Why do we live? What's the sense of all this? But Paul is saying the meaning of life is to be seen in the purpose of God. And you know, if we're believers, we need to look up. We need to, to set our eyes to the incredible destiny above. 
that we are going to be God's temple forever in heaven. We are going to belong to the bride of Christ. We're going to be of his flesh and his bone, as it were. We are to be married to the eternal, glorious Son of God. And the day approaches. And we need to keep that focus, to keep the dark clouds and the rainy days in a wider perspective. These things are passing away very quickly, and we have a glorious future. You know, think of Ephesians 1, verses 11 to 13. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Now, we'll speak more of this in a moment, but the gospel to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. But this building is going on and upwards until it comes to its great climactic finish at the end of history when Christ will return and all God's purposes will be complete. And so if you're a believer this morning, I want to say to you to be encouraged because the world is going on from day to day and it's not just random. It's not just you know, accidental. The world is going on ultimately for one reason. That almighty God has a plan and his plan is to gather others out of this fallen sinful humanity as he has gathered us. And to make them partakers of the blessings of Christ to make them a new creation as he has made you such. And to unite them and you and all believers in Christ from the old and new into one glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that we should be complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Do you know, at the end of the previous chapter, Paul speaks of the way that God the Father has put all things under Christ's feet, has given him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. He is saying that to, to encourage us, to stir our hearts, to to make us understand that our our labor, that our faithfulness in this world is not in vain. You know, maybe we feel tired at times. We feel weary with the state of the world. We look and we despair and, you know, things seem to be getting worse day by day. But then we have to remind ourselves God's plan cannot be thwarted. You know, nothing can stand in the way of his purpose or his, his glorious intention. And even in this it's what we see as a mess. Every day, sinners are being added to the church all over the world. It's a glorious thing. You know, every day, this new creation, the building is progressing. You know, we might not see it. Perhaps even the angels don't see it in all of its wonder and its glory yet. But God sees it. And he sees it from the beginning of time to the end of time. His work is steadily going forward, irresistibly so. And the stones are being fitted into their place. And so if we're believers, we have to trust in his purpose and to be reassured that God is carrying out all his promises, working out all his will, and all his children to their great destiny in Christ, God's workmanship. But then let's just think about this building of the church. So we see that it's God's workmanship, but, but what do we need to see about the building of his church? And I want you to see that the whole of the Trinity is involved in this. You know, chosen by the Father, purchased by the Son, gathered, prepared, and fitted, and built by the Holy Spirit. 
You know, if you were to read through Ephesians 1 and 2 as a whole, you would see how this is emphasized all the way through. The church is the subject of God's continual attention. The subject of the the Father's attention, the Son's great concern, the Holy Spirit's activity, this great and glorious God, the great Trinitarian God, deeply involved. As one explains, all the three persons of the Godhead have been active from eternity past all through history to the present time and will be to the eternity to come, active in the interests of the church. The church is in the foreground of God's plan. Everything else is in the background. You know, if we have faith, if God has given that to us, we must see life through that lens. You know, that nothing matters like the gospel. That nothing matters so much as the church, like bringing sinners to Christ, all else is behind that. And the Lord Jesus, the gospel, the matters of the soul, they are right in the center of all that God is doing. And nothing in the universe matters to God so much as his people because it is his new creation in Christ. That is the importance and the significance of this. You say, well, what can we learn about this building? What do we see here? Well, let's look at the various aspects. Chosen by God the Father. You know, imagine a fellowship of believers needing a building and they want to build one from scratch. What do they do? Well, first, they need a plan. They need an architect. You know, there's no point in going and and ordering a whole load of materials and just expecting a builder to appear and, you know, throw something together. There's got to be a plan. There's got to be a purpose. It's all got to be worked out. You know, you've got to have all the, the technical drawings and the scale, everything marked out in meticulous and precise details. And then when the plans are in place, things can move ahead. Well, God the Father is the architect. In eternity past, before there was anything but God himself, God the Father made his plan and the plan was for a people to be called out as a love gift to his son to be his church. And that plan has progressed throughout reality, throughout history. And there is one plan. There are not multiple plans. There is one. And it progresses in different ways. And so God called Abraham and told him, in you, Abraham, all the nations of the world will one day be blessed and in your seed. And so we see that God called out Israel as a nation. We see his wonderful dealings with them, delivering them from Egypt, bringing them to the promised land, his chosen peculiar people. And during most of the Old Testament era, essentially you had three groups of people. You had the Gentile nations, you had national Israel, and you had true Israel, the faithful remnant true believers. And although the nation of Israel was often involved in idolatry and apostasy and rebellion, God always had for himself a faithful remnant. Those who trusted, those who wouldn't bow to idols, those who were looking and believing in the promised Messiah, God's provision. And you you say, well, what about Old Testament believers before Jesus went to the cross? Well, the work of Jesus is not only applied forward to all his people that would ever be, but also backwards in time. He is the only saviour. He is the only redeemer. Without him, there is no hope. There is only one way of salvation. And it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, there is not one way to be saved in the Old Testament and a different way to be saved in the New Testament. You have two different Gospels. 
In the Old Testament, they were saved by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, looking ahead to the coming of Christ. Jesus said in John 8, 56, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He was glad. Why was he glad? Because the Savior was coming, the promised one. And he believed him and trusted him. You know, we are saved, you know, by looking back to the first coming of Christ who died on the cross, bearing our sins. You know, those look forward, we look back, we all meet to the foot of the cross. And so you see that initial progression. And then the coming of Christ. The Lord Jesus came into the world to accomplish the salvation of his people. He lived a perfect life and he died as the atoning sacrifice on the cross. He rose in great triumph and now is ascending on high. And at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came as a, a consequence of the work of the Lord Jesus. And the new covenant church was empowered for its mission. And on the day of Pentecost, the, the true Israel, Jewish believers in Jesus were taken by the Holy Spirit and they formed the nucleus of the New Testament church. And though the gospel had come to the Jew first, now Gentiles were to be called and grafted in. And so when the Jews heard the gospel, there is this division. Some were given to believe, many others rejected Christ. And to this day, as a nation, tragically, there is a, a hardness and unbelief. You know, as an aside, it's true that when people continue to come under the sound of the gospel for some time and reject it, they begin to despise it. You know, although they've known the gospel, they become hard and careless and worldly, and they can drift into devastation. But this, this stage, this new progression saw Gentiles being exposed to the gospel and granted to believe. This building of God's great church according to his plan. It's not an accident. It's not a plan B. Everything was on course, all by arrangement. The eternal purpose of God. And you know, we are still in that stage. And people from every language and tribe and nation are being called to Christ all over this globe. Millions being brought from darkness into that marvelous light of salvation in Jesus. And you know, there are those who love Jesus Christ and they are worshiping him in their different languages today. You know, and if you and I had the ability to hear it, oh, it'd be wonderful we'd hear them singing in Hindi and Farsi and French and Dutch and English, all the languages across the nations of this world extolling the Lord Jesus. He's building his church. And then I would just mention that I take the view that there will be yet a glorious final ingathering from amongst the Jewish people. I believe Romans 11 would direct us to that when the Jews who have been so long hardened will come home when the Spirit of God, you know, will be brought upon them, their eyes open, they will see Christ for who he is and believe. And they'll be weeping, repenting, believing such that the whole world will take note. But when God has called out of this world all those who are his, both Jew and Gentile, according to his eternal purpose, then the trumpet will sound, the work of building will be over, the building complete, the ransomed church of God finished, the fullness of God's purpose is brought to life. God is the architect chosen by him, purchased by the Son. You know, when you've got your plans drawn up, you must then have your 
building materials, as it were. Your stones must be bought, purchased, paid for, and at great cost. And that's what we see in terms of the Lord Jesus. The Son of God has paid the price. Ephesians 1 verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. You know, that's what Jesus Christ has done. He has paid by his death and blood the price for all the stones who are to be entered into the building of God. He paid for that by his suffering and his agonies and his death on the cross. You know, and that's why we have the, the ordinance of the Lord's table to remember the church owes everything to Christ. You know, we owe to him our very existence. If he had not paid the price, you know, there'd be no believers, there'd be no church. If he had not shed his blood, there'd be no forgiveness, there'd be no hope for any of us. It's Christ who has done all the great work of purchasing. He has bought his people by his blood. And that's why we believe it is a real atonement. It's not just a, a possible atonement. It is a real, actual, particular atonement. The fulfillment of the eternal plan. There is nothing lacking in the sacrifice of Jesus. It is an atonement for all those to be added to the building, for those who are to come into the church, a shedding of blood, a paying of the ransom, you know, a paying of the price to God's justice in order that those predestinated to glory allowed the privilege of being grafted in as living stones. It's a great price. And friends, one of the very basic things that we must do as believers is to remind ourselves every day that we owe everything to Jesus. We owe everything to him. We owe him the very fact that we exist. We owe him still more the very fact that we are born again or that we have grace or favor or anything. It was the Father's plan and it's the Son's gracious death in love for us that gave us our standing as the people of God. And then, fitted together by the Holy Spirit, the stones need to be shaped and built together. Master craftsmen must chisel the stones to the right dimensions so that it all comes together and cemented in place. And that's the work of the beloved and gracious Holy Spirit. And he's at work today doing such things. The Father plans, the Son purchases, the Holy Spirit does the work of preparing the stones in this life. And you know, we are the rough stones. And maybe some of us are rougher than others. And he draws and he molds to be used. You know, we are rugged and wretched sinners as we come into his kingdom. And we are so unworthy, so unsuitable. But the Holy Spirit makes us new. And he makes us holy. And he gives us life in Christ. And he unites us to Christ. And he works in us to make us like the Savior. And we are quickened together with him and as he says you know we were once dead in trespasses and sins and now we have been quickened together with Christ by grace we're saved and fitted together into the temple of God and we belong together and you know ultimately there is only one true church consisting of the whole number of those who are in Christ born again washed by his blood and united to God according to this purpose now we have local manifestations of that one great body. You know, like ourselves, a local church here in Penzance. And we have biblical foundations and principles which direct all that we do. And belonging to a local family of the Lord's people 
is so important. You see that throughout the New Testament. But the vital thing is to be in Christ. To have Christ, to be built upon Christ and the truth of Christ, to be born again of his spirit, to be indwelt by his spirit, to have the proper view of God which his word teaches that all is of grace through faith, all to the glory of his praise. All for God's sake, for his name's sake, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ. All according to this great purpose, plan, and his wonderful love towards his own people. And the Holy Spirit works to bring sinners to life, to fashion them, to bring them in, and to make them part of this great building. God's workmanship. Again, I ask you, if you're a believer this morning sat there, do you realize the incredible privilege that you have been given? The amazing thing that it is to be in Christ, to know that you are part of this, this great work that is going on and that you have a glorious, glorious future. You know, and if you're sat there this morning and you, you don't know these things, and maybe you don't know the Savior, how we pray that God will be gracious to you and that you turn from your sin and you turn from all of those things which will lead you to destruction and throw yourself on Christ. Trust him. Trust in his death for you on the cross. Trust in the blood that was shed. Trust in the fact that he rose again. Trust in his righteousness. Trust all those things. He is our only hope. God's building. And we must never forget it. And as I finish, you know, it should have practical applications for each one of us as we leave this morning. And I would say this, that every one of us needs to beware of damaging his church. You know, people think that they can do what they want to the Lord's people and to his church, and it doesn't matter. But there are always consequences. False teaching, wrong practice, wrong ordinances, inventions, novelties, everything which spoil the church, people must give account for. You know, God sees, and he sees the way that we are with one another. And so we have to keep close to the word. For if we... Do not, we will damage the church and we shall pay the price for damaging something which is evidently so precious to God, so precious to the Lord and it should be precious to us. So let's beware damaging his church. And then we should love God. You know, if we have any grasp of these things, how we should love him, you know, how we should love him for what he has done and who he is. How we should love the Father for his goodness to us. We were sinners and lost and dead, no hope, nothing. Yet the great God has stooped down and plucked us out and made us his children at great cost to himself. You know, and we should love God the Father. We should, should love the Lord Jesus for all that he has done for us in laying down his life and, and all of those things. We should love him. And we should indeed be those who love and rejoice in the Holy Spirit. In the amazing wonder of him taking that, that finished work of Christ and applying it to us and giving us life. And we should look forward with, you know, great expectation and, you know, that fact that Jesus is coming again in the end of history. You know, how we shall praise him then. But we should love and praise now. And, you know, we should love our brethren we should love one another. When we realize, when we look at one another, the privilege of being in Christ, 
the cost of every blood-bought person. We should love them. Christ loves them. We should love them. And you know, we're to spend eternity together and with all God's people. And so we should be men and women that have that love and kindness to one another and patience with one another now. That God in his grace might even glimpse those heavenly foretakes in our fellowship together. To be careful not to offend one another, but to encourage one another as fellow heirs of the grace of God. It's a wonderful thing to be part of his church, his body. And it's all of grace, this new creation. And so the question is, are you a part of it this morning? And if you are, are you thankful? Are you rejoicing? Are you trusting? And are you resting on that firm foundation that what God has purposed to do, he will do. And none can stop him. And all is headed to that great day when we shall see the head of the church and we'll bow before him in adoration and praise. God's workmanship. What a blessed people we are. Amen.